Welcome to episode 142 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. I'm Ty, and you can find me trying to be honest without showing my ass on Twitter at SAATJK, and with me as always is Chris. Where can we find you giving your followers the full Monty, Chris? <laughs> the full Monty? <laughs> my God, no one, no one wants that. But you can find me at Cedarville Senor on the Twitter. Blocked and reported. <laughs> <laughs> I only send those in DMs. <laughs> Send nudes. It's a potpourri <laughs> night on the two on three pod as we're going to harken all the way back to episode 126 where Chris shared some of his favorite should have been a franchise movies to debut a new and uh, hopefully recurring segment right off the bat as in segment one. We'll head to the plot shop where Chris will regale us with a tale of D.B. Cooper versus the undead before shifting gears into our own childhood stupidity as in segment two. We'll share with you some of the dumbest things we believed as children along with the rest of the Twitter net. And finally, we're going to look at a recently completed championship and discuss who the GOAT really is of tennis. Beyond the buzzer, we'll pause for Dejatwa before heading to the OT where I've got some more existentialism that is the polar opposite of the low stakes high brought on by recovering your keys from your trunk as discussed in episode 135. Mm. Interact with the show on Twitter at 2on3pod or hit us up via email at at 2on3pod.com. You know how much we love to hear from you. But before we get to that, to that, Chris, I have to ask you, how much do you notice the politics in your sports? <laughs> it's 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 hard to dodge them, but I mean that's just the world we live in these days. I mean, I'm pretty good about I'm pretty good about turning on my filter and just trying to enjoy the things I want to enjoy without the without the chatter. I can understand that, but uh, the reason I bring it up is because so the Seattle Seahawks played in the primetime game this mm-hmm. weekend, this past weekend rather. Sure, five and zero. Holler. <laughs> go Hawks. Hashtag go Hawks. Hashtag go Hawks. Uh, I had so, so I have mixed feelings around the primetime game, right? Like I actually prefer the 10 a.m. game. I like to watch the game and then enjoy the rest of my NFL Sunday and or the rest of my Sunday regardless without having to like concern myself with the, the, the forthcoming Seahawks disaster to be. Like, yes, it's, it's been positive, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. We're always in for a heart attack, right? So I had stuff to do around the house on Sunday, and uh, I wanted to keep up with the NFL and fantasy and et cetera. And so I, I decided I was going to listen to the Sirius XM, XM um, NFL radio show on my phone, right? Like while I'm puttering around the house. And it was, it's called, so the show is called The Sunday Drive, uh, hosted by Steve Torre and Bill Leckis on Sirius NFL radio. And it's basically more or less like Red Zone, but on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, whip around coverage, these guys chat a bit. And what I realized while listening to it is it's like an ideal low stakes way to get out of your cultural bubble because you get all the local radio feeds instead of, you know, national broadcasts on the red zone. Even you get there. It's all national games, right? Every Mm -hmm. game is sort of regionally broadcast. So it's mostly people you're familiar with. Right. But with the local radio feeds, you get, um, I believe based on my, my recent listening experience that you get whatever, uh, local broadcast for the team that's on offense. So they actually bring you both sides of the game during the game. And I got to learn, like, for instance, did you know that Brent Musburger is the Las Vegas Raiders play-by-play guy? I mean, that's a no-brainer. I mean, I know he, <laughs> he moved to Vegas to do all the gambling stuff because apparently he's been into big time into gambling like his whole life. That's, that's why him and Jimmy the Greek were such, like, good friends. Like, that's how Jimmy the Greek got a gig on CBS back in the indeed, day. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, no, he was always famous for sort of sneaking in the... And this is an important field goal for a certain group of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was hilarious because, like, Brent is doing the full Homer, like, you know, getting upset about the clock management and, oh, you just can't have that. You just you can't do it. <laughs> That's good to and, know. And throughout the show, though, you get accents, you get regional expressions, you get full-on, I mean, Homer calls, like... And the terrible, you know, the also the terrible, like, color commentator who's always some old washed up yeah. person who played on that team like a long time ago who's always terrible i can't even remember which team it was but there was a moment where the color guy says you know it's not so much the scheme as it is this player i mean he's good <laughs> <laughs> he's good he's good fantastic insight from the color man um but you get a reminder essentially again a low stakes reminder that uh, the united states is really made up of a lot of different kinds of people but at no point are you sort of outside the feeling of this is America. And it was just, it was a weird kind of 
low key wake up call considering, you know, the, the politics, the political media I consume and certainly the politics of sports and the way they're covered in the media. Um, but to, to kind of just get a little bit pers- perspective outside of what I'm normally consuming was just one of these things where it's like, you know what, this is the kind of thing that we miss with the monoculture a little bit that you don't get a little bit of everything mixed in the way you used to. Everything is very self curated. Right. And that's, and that's actually kind of a good thing. So you enjoyed it, right? I did. It was great. Yeah. It's always fun to hear people who are basically, I don't know how they have the, like struggling through a sports broadcasting job. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? They're the local person. It's usually, again, it's usually the announcer for some odd reason. Um, I don't know. I think they black out some of the games now, but I would turn on sports radio like the Mad Dog Sports and they'd have a game on. And for some odd reason, a while ago, maybe a couple of years ago, I, I was getting the Cincinnati feed for some odd reason. And the okay. color, the, whoever the color guy is for the, the analyst for for the Cincinnati broadcast is terrible. Like, just, <laughs> I mean, just really terrible at his job. And I would, be, I would listen to it just... I'd listen to it and I'd just be like, wow. I mean, this guy's making a living being yeah. this terrible on the radio. That was a little bit of the, again, not to throw shade on anyone. <laughs> Obviously, these people have earned these jobs one way or another. Okay, but fine. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do feel like there's a need to be really sharp. And yes, it's pre-recorded, so you have the opportunity to correct yourself or edit it and so on and so forth. But the lack of preparation was sometimes astounding. <laughs> What are you doing the rest of the week? All right, this is your only job, right? <laughs> I, can't, I don't know. I imagine. Did you notice? Did you notice the subtle Sunday night Al Michaels talking about COVID and how he was not complaining exactly, but really complaining that he might have to work like more than one night a week? <laughs> no, I missed that. Yeah, he just sort of looks at. He look. Well, I don't know. He's looking at Chris, but he's like, you know, I, partner. By the end of the the season, we're probably going to be doing games on Thursday morning. He just seemed really put out by this idea that he didn't like it was gonna he was gonna have to adjust his schedule to uh yeah. you know people getting sick with the deadly virus. I'm I'm down with the so the Sunday night's good because on Sunday during the day I'm I have to do I I coach junior golf for my son in the morning in his classes and then and then my daughter in the afternoon so like my football watching is just just it's it's a little rough for me. Like I can't catch a whole game, either the early game or the the late game. I ha- the only game I can watch in like in this t- it's an entirety, is the Sunday night game. So I've been happy that the first five games, two of ours have been Sunday night. <laughs> I think they like putting us on too because we always give them a show, right? There's always something crazy and crappy and weird going on in our games. Well, as Kevin Clark once tweeted, the Seahawks have never played a normal football game. <laughs> they, they don't do that. All right. Well, with that, let's go to the plot shop. This sign means that it's the beginning to our plot shop, ladies and gentlemen. We are finally opening up our own plot shop. I will welcome to the plot shop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, I, I, the, internet was, is look, a, man, the internet is an amazing thing. When you're trying to make a draft uh, on a budget amount of time, you got to do, <laughs> do, do what you can with what you find. Um, but you actually, so this is something that a few weeks back, you brought up when Josh was co-hosting the show with you, and you talked about the the additional Quigley Down Under movies that you wanted to see made, right. and a few others. Um, but you mentioned this to me in passing the other day, and I was like, "Oh, God, you got to save that for the podcast." And I think that this is the kind of thing that I would like to um, bring back. I think from time to time, when we have one of these inspired ideas, um, I, I mentioned to you that one of the you know Adam Carolla back when he was funny. Uh, once did a bit on the Bill Simmons podcast about Pettif Isle. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, subtext, well, not subtext, regular text aside, uh, that not being an ideal necessarily plot for a movie, uh, especially since we learned it perhaps existed and it was literally off the coast <laughs> right. of the Caribbean. In the Caribbean. Ugh. Ugh. Hey, anyway, Ugh. let's get away from that and talk about your newest fake movie. Let's work it out. All right. So I had this idea a long time ago. And a buddy who I used to work with sat next to me. And we would, I would bounce this idea off him all the time. And, and I've been sort of banging away at it. But the idea is that it's, you know, it's based on the D.B. Cooper story. And we all know that D.B. Cooper, you know, 
Do you have the broad strokes broad for strokes. us for anybody that... In the early 70s... We're old. We're old. Anybody might listening, they might not know in the, this D.B. Cooper. In the early 70s, D.B. Cooper extorted a bunch of money and then got onto a plane and then and then basically jumped out of a, basically a commercial aircraft and into the into the wilds of the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen or heard of ever again. And so, so of course, that's a, that's such a great story in and of itself, right? A lot of things could, you know, a lot of things happen, right? Like they think D.B. Cooper, he's living in Mexico, like a la Shawshank or whatever. But I like this, I like the, the setup of this story, but because he's dropped, since he's jumped into the middle of nowhere, I thought that maybe his circumstances might have been slightly different than him just like, Impaling himself on a tree and dying, <laughs> and the money most likely and, okay. and the money ended up in a, in a bag at the bottom of some mud hole, and then no one ever found it. But it's something like just a, it's a couple hundred thousand bucks. So, but it's great because I remember being a, a kid and seeing these like whatever happened to DB Cooper? They would they would you know every so often like because TV was shitty when I was a kid, they'd have to bring up DB Cooper every sure. every few years because it was interesting. But the uh, so the setup of my story is, you know, we get a we get a we get a little more of an action style, an action style heist because you know it's a movie, right? It's, and of course he gets on a plane and he jumps out. The um, he he gets separated from the money, but as he's falling, okay. but and, and he notices that as he's as the parachute is taking him where where he sees that there's a small a small sort of small town. Okay, so a bit of a bit of a cliffhanger situation. Right. He's like he's separated from the money. He drifts yeah. across and then he like ends up on the other side of this small town that he's that he's seen as he's crossed. So he loosens himself up and he comes to find out that as he's making his way back towards money, there's something wrong in the in the in the small town. And that the small town is is been ravaged by the undead. Okay. So and at this point in the movie, okay. So is that is that is just a premise, or do you have do you have more? no that that I that is I don't want to interrupt. No, that's the setup. That's the setup of of okay. of what 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 has happened to DB Cooper. We could get into a little more. Like I, I in my brain, like there's a it's it it's a it's kind of a Keanu movie. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I I see Keanu doing this, but the thing is, is like here's a guy who's who wants his money. And he just and the only thing between him and his money is this town of the undead. Like, but how does he discover it's like undead? Of course, there's, you know, you know, he comes across maybe a family or a woman or somebody who's in the forest who's freaking out, like, what's wrong with you? And then he's like, I got to get to this. I got to get to this river on the other side of this town. You know where it is. And the woman's like, I'm not. I'm not going back through that town. I'm not going there. That's all I could do to get this far away from it. You can't make me go back through. Of course, he's desperate. He waves a gun in her face. Mm-hmm. And now he's making her, like, you're taking me through this forest, through that town, and to that river, near that river where I lost my money. I love this. I love this idea. Um, I love Keanu in the, t- in the title role here. Um do you have a corny name for it yet? I mean, they did make a DB Cooper versus Bigfoot movie in like, like 2014. Because that, that that also makes what if it's sense. zombie Bigfoots? <laughs> but it's so you know it's I like the fact I love the I love the sort of 70s aspect of it because it it happens in the yeah. early 70s. So you can like you know you can make the cl- the clothes work out, the cars kind of work out. Like you can set this thing up in this in this tiny abandoned town that has like, like a big church in the middle, you know, kind of one of those kind of deals. Sure. And, and I like the fact that it's not like a, and in my mind, it's not like a science experiment gone wrong. It's like, it's like a, like a hell mouth situation. Like it's, it's the, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a serious supernatural occurrence. Not, not like the government like dropped a, an undead bomb on this town. Like, it's just like, Something happened in this town, and we don't even have to explain it. But now the devil, the devil has come to it's the devil and DB Cooper. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's. I like the fact, I like the idea that maybe this town, even though the the it has the big church in the middle, like the the people who are running the church were were 
we're dealing in serious occult type things. Okay. And I like the idea that he finds like a group of survivors like hold up, right? right? Like who are scrambling gotta, to get away, but he's like, I need my money. Like that's because you think they're burning it for warmth at this point? Because that's all the no, because it's on the other side of the town, right? He right. He comes. The bag comes loose from him as he's falling, and he drifts away. So he's got to figure out now. I need to get my money, and this is kind of the hero's dilemma, right? This is like a, it's sort of like a, like a sort of a, you know, like a big trouble in little China kind of a, kind of a. Uh, I'm just trying to pull a job, but I'm I'm a, I'm a moral man. Kind of so like I have to, I'm getting pulled into this hero yes. scenario. Yes, and it's like maybe it's uh, maybe this maybe it's a mom and like she's like my kid's still in the town. Like we got separated, and the town's like a shit show. Like there's 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 zombies and there's people shooting at zombies and there's you know it's it can be it can be kind of it can be kind of it can be kind of a you know. You know, because they're 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 hicks, right? So there's got to be some uh-huh. like group of hicks, like the the town sheriff who's a bad guy, and there's there's a a preacher dealing with the occult, and they're just they're zombies and undead and shit. Do you think that maybe like there's some sort of rapid response, whether it's you know radio to the sheriff, like this is where this guy is bailed out of the plane and. The cops get involved in sort of a first blood situation where they're hunting him without knowing that there's a zombie apocalypse occurring in this I town. Think the, I think the FBI might be like on the slow trail. Like okay. I think they probably need to show up at the end after 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 whatever however the plot shakes out. See, because I'm kind of feeling more of a have to join forces. Like he has to convince the only other people with guns to help him save this small town from this. Undead scourge. Mm, that's a that's an interesting thought. I I mean the uh, the way I sort of you know once you get to the town and he first of all he doesn't believe her. Of course not. <laughs> what are you talking? About? Why would he? And there's no cell phones, right? So no. that's that's one of the benefits of doing a period a zombie period. That's the piece. thing about the '70s. Like when you're isolated in the '70s, like in one of these towns, you're very isolated. There's nothing. There's nobody coming. There's no help. Well, what if it occurs at the same time and he actually cuts like the single phone line and he's the reason that they can't call for help? Maybe. So he lands, wakes up. It hasn't quite broken out. It's just starting. He finds like the, the one pole. He's following like the, the river right to the town. Mm-hmm. And then along the river is where the, the one power pole with all the phone lines communication is like, well, I've got to cut this out. I've got to take down the power and the and the. And the and radio he cuts or the, the, the telephone. And he here. cuts the yeah. and he cuts yeah. So there's to make sure the town stays right. isolated. And then it's his fault. Right. I think there's I think there's a lot to be said about about like coming like falling into a situation like this where being like you're the only outsider. Everybody's been dealing with this this zombie outbreak for the last X amount of time. We don't even know how long. Days. A couple of days. And like okay. so the town's shot up and burned out. There's a lot of you know, the thing about zombie movies, like there's only there's no zombies on the street at the beginning. Right. <laughs> only to find out that later on, there's like nothing but zombies on the street. <laughs> That's, I've been inside too long. All the zombies this are out is the there beauty now. of zombie movie. Right. Is that like the world's a big place. Like how, when's the last time, like just in the course of just walking around, you you ran into a group of 50 people. Like just random, <laughs> other than hopefully other never. than the grocery store. But that's the thing about zombie movies, right? It's usually like one zombie. It's like what the hell? What is this? And then of course the woman's like, I don't know. It's like they just started. Blah. They came and people, people, you know, people came out of the ground and they started killing people. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then of course he has to be convinced. Right. And then you know. I'm also thinking that maybe there was a there was a somehow a, a bio agent on the plane, and he somehow had to, it, it be, you know he he grabbed a, uh, someone's bag that he thought was the money, and as part of his his when he jumps out, he's got one bag full of experimental bio weapons that turn this that, that create the zombie apocalypse where he lands. It's like so it's, all all the things that he discovers be are he can trace back to his own. He, he does like, that's a, that's inter- that would be an interesting way to sort of tie it together. I like I just sort of thought it would be great if he just. Just by random ass chance, he just dropped into this place. Well, I'm getting too yeah. cute. And then, and then at the, of course, at the, of course, our hero at one point has the money, 
and like could leave, but right. he can't leave. Right. That's the. He's got to go John Wick's. He's got to go John Wick's and zombies. And then after the after he sort of burns down the whole place, defeats the occultists and whatnot, um, the FBI at that point show up. Get infected and then actually spread across the country. Oh, they show up. And of course they ask like, what the hell happened here? Did you see this guy? And of course the woman's like, I don't know. What do you, I don't know who you're talking about. They show him, they show her a picture of him, like her and her son who survived, who are like the only survivors left. Sure. Like they show her the picture of DB Cooper and they say, have you seen this man? And they go, no, I haven't seen him. I don't know who you're talking about. Like what happened here? And it's then, like, and then he's a zombie walking in the woods. <laughs> no, I look, Hey, I'm just throwing ideas. We're in the right. <laughs> no, there are no bad <laughs> ideas. He, and, and we don't know what happened to him. We don't know what happened to him. He just, he gets, he grabs the sack of money and, off, maybe he's off to the next undead adventure. Maybe he runs into a vampire somewhere. D.B. Cooper is zombie hunter. D.B. Cooper, like a trilogy of D.B. Cooper movies. <laughs> Where D.B. Cooper and this bag of money like have to battle, one, the undead. Number two, like like a, a werewolf. Like werewolves in the Pacific Northwest. So Van Helsing, then. And then, <laughs> and then, and then a, a real deal vampire. Kate Beckinsale is one of the sequels, I assume. If I can get Kate Beckinsale to be in my movie, she's in. All right. Well, that's it for our first edition of Plot Shop. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have some uh, weird plots you'd like us to workshop live on the show, by all means, share them with us. And with that, let's go to segment number two. All right. In segment two, we've got some, I don't know, we'll call it standard two on three fair. Uh, This damn Eric Alpert, right? Like he's, uh, (laughs) what's his deal? (laughs) He's like a serious XM DJ. Um, I, she's every, I, he even retweets his own engagement tweets. Like he just brings it back. He's like, all right, let me get another round of this sh- engagement stuff. Uh, but you know, I, as, as much as I enjoy these, cause I always like to see when people again, show a little bit of their butt on the internet as it were. Uh, he, he tweets out, what's something dumb that you believed as a kid. Now, do you want to start with the idiots on the internet or do you want to start with you and me? Oh, uh, let's start with you and me. Okay. Do you want to go first? I will go first. And I may have told this story, um, before, or at least some version of it. Okay. When I was young, um, in 1977, I convinced I convinced my my family to take me along with them to see Jaws, and it okay. fucked me up <laughs> <laughs> so much so that I would have like panic attacks and bad dreams about the shark. I lived, by the way, I lived in Illinois. <laughs> like there was no there no sharks in Illinois. I was completely petrified by sharks. There was we'd go to the you know there's a my friend he had a cab they, his family had a cabin on Lake Carlinville. I was petrified. We went to Lake Carlinville petrified. I like I didn't want to get near the water. Like I had I just I thought there was a shark. I thought every body every body of water may have had a giant shark living in it. And that was and and that was the dumb thing I believed. <laughs> <laughs> and it lasted a good while, a good part of this, like, several weeks at least. Did your parents not bother to educate you on, like, the habitat of no, sharks? No, they don't know. They didn't care. <laughs> my, my, dad, my dad wasn't interested. He'd be like, it's a movie. So I, I know, but there's a shark and it's there and it's looking for me. I'm sure there's lots of other dumb stuff that I believed. Um, the one that comes immediately to mind for me is that... Apparently, and I don't recall doing this, so I must have been, you know, relatively young. I would guess younger than five or so. Mm-hmm. But if the uh, if the emergency broadcast system activated on the television and it would say, please stand by, right? That I would go apparently stand next to the television set. <laughs> you stand because by. I, You're standing yes, by the I've, TV. I, I've got to come over here and stand by the television. <laughs> that's an honest mistake for a little kid to make dumb one that shows up in the twitter list that i absolutely believed until i at least third grade uh was that girls peed out of their butt <laughs> <laughs> they were not interested in teaching us actual biology in school when i was young they really weren't like nowadays it's like all kinds of biology like all the time yeah, and I don't like hide stuff from my kids. They ask they ask me questions. I tell them the truth. 
So I was, you know, I'm, I've basically raised the kid from uh, kindergarten cop who's like, boys have a penis, <laughs> girls have a vagina. These are my children. Right. But that's fine because, you know what? It's the truth and there's it's not the, there's no hiding from yeah, it. Yeah, there's no hiding from that. But <laughs> girls pee out their butt. <laughs> Hilarious. The, uh, but uh, uh, wrestling was real. <laughs> that was, yeah. That was a dumb thing I believed until I was 27. <laughs> 27. <laughs> No, when I was a young kid, of course, my dad would come down like after. So after church on Sundays, we would run home and we would turn on football or wrestling. Wrestling was on at the same time as like that first right before the first football game. Wrestling came on and wrestling was just we'd watch wrestling. We loved wrestling. Me and my brother and uh, my dad would come down. He would play like. (laughs) <laughs> he would just have a look of disgust on his face like this isn't real you know I was like shut up dad watching some wrestling it's real enough to me <laughs> it's funny how quickly these got dark and I understand these are the times we're living in but there's some relatable stuff in here like that adults like knew what they were doing <laughs> that's I think that's the ultimate one right Cause you, you grow up and you're like wait when am I going to be an adult right and obviously I just I just had my 41st birthday uh, last week, and I told you about how it's worse than forty because forty is like a milestone. I finally feel like I'm a real adult now, right? Like I, I'm finally a serious man. And forty-one is just like, oh, it's just another fucking birthday, and I'm just some shitty old guy in his forties. <laughs> Brutal. Which is yes, you know. All right. So, in defense of adults, <laughs> I think it's important to know that some adults do have some perspective on certain things like does anybody ever really know what they're doing i mean really that's not i think that's it though right no, that's a, the, no here's the thing you just you get into situations and you and as an adult you sort of apply your experience and try to you know try to come up with like <laughs> so whatever outcome matches your values right that's the, sure. that's what it comes down to. Hopefully, your values are good, <laughs> and so you're you're working toward outcomes that are that are productive for yourself and for society. But that's not always the case. Like sometimes you just need stuff to happen for your benefit, and that's how it goes. But that's sure. but that's the part of being an adult. Being part of a, I mean, when you're a kid, you're just like I don't know what to do. <laughs> at least you're. Hopefully, if you're an adult, at least you have at least some inkling of maybe what you'd like to do in a situation where you're unfamiliar with what's when you're dealing with something new, but I don't know. That's my, that's my, yeah, that's my defensive adults. It wasn't, I, yeah, it wasn't very full hearted. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it ties nicely into the next one I noticed here, which is like wars are started for like defensive reasons, (laughs) like modern wars. Oh, well, I mean, Yeah. Right. Anyway, on a lighter note, uh, I like this one, which is when I was a kid, I thought my grandma had a friend named Mr. Adel. She was always talking about going to see Adel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's that's Amelia Bedelia territory for sure. That's what most of these are, right? That's what happens when you're a kid. Yeah. You just you don't understand. You hear something. I mean, I'm still dealing with hominin confusion on a daily basis with elementary schoolers, right? They're like, wait a minute, what? How does that? And I'm like, no, 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 it's a different word. Exactly the same word. Right. Spelled differently. But different. Spelled differently, but pronounced the same way. Yes. Um, I liked this one a lot, uh, that the KFC chicken that you got from KFC was in the big bucket above the sign <laughs> that the workers had to go up there and like and get the chi- either get it out and or push some sort of a button to release the chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that that would be amazing. I would like a I would like a chick I'd like a bucket of chicken that large. I do think that there would be something to. Now it would be disgusting, but if you had a restaurant where you could, like, like especially a chicken restaurant with lots of chicken, I'm going to hit a button and a bunch of the chicken is going to shoot out of like a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> There's some novelty that, there. I don't know how you clean the yeah, pipe. I don't know either. Well, who cares? Your kid. It's like it just comes out. This was a funny one. Uh, that sinking in quicksand was a common way to die. <laughs> True, right? Like a real problem in every children's show we've ever seen. I don't. I can't. I don't even know where you find quicksand. Where if if I said to you, find quicksand, like where would you go? What would you do? I said with the closest. If thing, I said the, if I said to you, I would give you ten thousand dollars if within twenty four <laughs> hours you can find real quicksand. What? Where would you go? What would you do? 
the closest thing I could come up with would be to go to like some place where the tide is out, right? Because generally you can't really die in true quicksand. <laughs> like you only sink to the displacement level where you're, you've reached equilibrium. Right. It's not just some bottomless pit <laughs> and the sand just keeps going forever. <laughs> but like if you walk out onto like a mud flat and the tide is out and you start to sink, you're fucked. Like, if you get both your legs stuck, you're going to die. And there's no one can save you. It doesn't matter how much time they have. Because once you're stuck, they have to displace. They have to dig around you faster than the tide can come in. This used to happen in Alaska at least once a year. Someone would walk out on the mudflats and sink to past their knees. And that was it. And they couldn't get out. They were screwed. No. They were screwed. That's, they that, just drowned. That's how you die from quicksand. You don't, like, you don't, get, you don't just get sunk all the way in, under your head like they do in the movies. Like, some, yes. like somehow you have to deal with I remember thinking that the snuggle bear was in some way real. And I like had real feelings about the snuggle bear. Like I really wanted to like, I wanted to meet the snuggle bear. Where was he? Could he come to our house? Could he keep me warm and, uh, you know, toasty out of the dryer? (laughs) (laughs) That snuggle bear was kind of creepy though. Now that you look back at the snuggle bear. It was sort of like the uh, the Pillsbury Doughboys, kind of like really weird. Like you know, everyone was always trying to like push his stomach. Like, and he thought, that, and he would giggle. Like that was weird. Like, why would you want to push the Doughboy's stomach? Uh, yeah, especially right on his umbilical cord. Scar. <laughs> it seems it seems like a terrible invasion of his privacy. Nobody wants someone sticking their finger in their belly oh button. Oh my god! Jesus Christ! Don't even start with me. It's like the worst thing. It's, no one touches my belly button. Sorry, not no one, not my wife. No, no one. No one. No one is allowed. Is not. This is not. It's a non-negotiable. Well, speaking of wives, this one uh, that all dogs are boys and all cats are girls. That's one I think my wife still <laughs> has maybe a hard time overcoming with her conscious mind. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. The patriarchy. Goddamn. <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> I like this one too. That Hooters was a donut shop, and the owl's big circle eyes <laughs> were supposed to represent donuts. <laughs> like, can we go to Hooters for breakfast? Yes. Can we? I hear the chicken wings there are terrific. Yeah. And then uh, the last one I was going to mention was that this is a this is one that goes back to the segment we did on lies we tell our kids the. Watch for falling rocks. I remember my stepfather telling me repeatedly that I needed to, like, actually watch. Like, look. Like, when it says yes. watch for falling rocks, you'd have to look. Because if a rock comes, I'm going to have to swerve. So keep yeah. your eye so out. So you watch. Yes. <laughs> you watch this cliffside. Yes. For the rocks. <laughs> and there's a lot of that around here, right? So we're, we're driving through the pass and whatever, and I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to die. Right. Oh, God. One of these cliffs where the, the rocks are going to fall. <laughs> And it's Which, up to me, a seven-year-old boy, to save us. <laughs> that's a that's a heavy that's some heavy shit to lay on a kid, man. It's tough. Oh, I'm sorry. There was the one I wanted to close with is, is this very last one, which was that uh, on the on, on Canadian dollar bills with Queen Elizabeth, that uh, this this woman thought that that was her mother on the money. <laughs> I'm curious to hear from any of our Canadian listeners if any of you thought your relatives were on on the money when you were growing up. <laughs> when I say that the boy has his own money. He has his own money. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, good to hear about King Jaffe Joe Fur before we move along (laughs) to segment number three. All right. Now for something completely different. A little bit of sports talk. Um, So, oh gosh, I should have pulled it up. But uh, Djokovic recently lost again (laughs) to Rafael Nadal in the French Open. Uh, that's Rafa's 13th, if that's I recall correctly. 13th French Open. Yeah. and Which is wild, because there's no way you could con- like conceive of a golfer like winning the same tournament you know, 13 times. That, that just, it's inconceivable. Tennis is, tennis is amazing that way, is, in that you, know, you can have someone who is dominant in a certain way, right? Yes. That... that a lot of other sports simply can't produce. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, the surfaces are different, which is the only sport that's like this, right? Imagine if the NBA was like this, where like you went to, you played in Charlotte and it was like, this is the clay court. Right. <laughs> like, or this is the hard top. We're outside. 
Like you're going to play on the blacktop. Yes. Yes. I mean, in that, I mean, in that tennis is played on three different surfaces makes it interesting. Like, you know, so I think you can almost, the only thing that's even remotely like this is like baseball's a little bit like this in that some stadiums are set up differently in the outfield. I mean, the bases and the pitching mound and all that kind of stuff are the same. And mm-hmm. like in tennis, like the, the court dimensions are the same, but there are unique factors in each surface. And like each ballpark has its own sort of personality, which way the wind blows and where the where the wall is and all that kind of stuff. And some people have better luck in certain stadiums and, you know, some people play better in certain stadiums than others. Yeah, and not to hearken it right back to golf, but that's the other sport that's a little bit like this and that the course setup, course conditions can favor certain players over others. Yeah. Uh, the, obviously, the... the the elemental can can really impact your ability. To, can, how good are you through the wind? Can you play it on the ground? Can, how you know? Can you flight the ball multiple yeah. ways? Can you do these different things? And then the different types of like grass on the green. Like, might like, can you hold the greens when it's this type of situation? That that that's a little bit similar. Yeah, but golf golf is man player versus you know player right. versus course. You're not hitting the ball back to each no. other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tennis is. A literal, I'm going to smash your face in kind of a deal. Like one man versus one man, one woman versus one woman, unless you're playing doubles. But your opponent, your opponent makes the makes the difference, right? Uh-huh. And so you just get these you get these stretches in in tennis that we're going through right now, where you know the only three guys <laughs> basically won won Grand Slams in the last 15 years. Like these three dudes. Yeah. Like are the only only people good enough to win at this at this level? It it it, it cracked me up, right? Because so this is what Novak said. I found it. He said, "I've played Rafa more than I have played any other player in my professional career. Our head to head is the biggest head to head ever in the history of the sport. He's definitely my greatest rival." <laughs> and to me, this reads like. Oh yeah, I know him. He's my best friend. And then the other guy's like, "Yeah, we're not best friends." <laughs> <laughs> There's another guy over here who's got like more. Like, Rafa's like, "No, I know that you think I'm your best. Fr- I'm your best friend." <laughs> but really, I get it. Really, That's fine. Yeah. There's another guy. His name's Roger he, Federer, and he is 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 my biggest rival. So, where do you come down on the? I know you're a big. R fed kind of guy. I'm definitely an R fed kind of guy. And the, and, and I think, you know, there's no question that, that Rafa's had an amazing career. Like there's no, there's no two ways about this, right? There's a, there's, there's only, there's only, you know, how many people, there are only eight people who've won 10 or more majors in tennis. Eight people out of all the people who've ever played the, the sport, so that's a that's crazy to think that three of them are currently playing. And and the way I try to slice this is, you know, if you win thirteen of the same tournament, that makes you the best play, person to ever play that tournament. But his but his balance is a little off, right? When you're when you're heavily weighted toward one surface being clay, yes, I think that. It's kind of skews your it skews your number a little bit, you know. Roger has only won one on clay one time. He's only won there, so that's kind of, you know. But on the other two surfaces, he's won eight Wimbledon, so eight grass tournaments and eleven hard court tournaments. Raphael, what's the total? Sorry, what do you know? What the total Grand Slams number is? Twenty. They're both at tw- between. The they're two both of them? at twenty right now. Okay, so here's the thing. All right, sorry, go ahead and finish. So your, your yeah, point there. so sorry. so you see that that you know because Nadal's like so dominant at the French Open, like nobody can beat him. Like there's no question right. he's the greatest clay court player ever. His he's won two Wimbledon and four U.S. Opens and one Australian. So he's got you know so he's got seven seven others. Whereas Roger, his even though he has just one French. Like, you know, he's got more balance across the other two surfaces. Well, so that was the interesting thing when I started looking at this. Because in my head, it's like, it's been Federer. It's, it's, uh, since Federer passed Sampras, it's just been Federer. I haven't really considered that it could be someone mm-hmm. else. Um, and I was, yeah, Rob has so many majors on clay. And do you remember um, the Battle of the Surfaces exhibition match? Where they played on a court that was half grass, half clay? <laughs> no. 
No, you don't remember, I don't remember this at all. So it was in 2007, and Nadal won that 12-10 in a deciding type. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So and this is while they're like um, their streaks, consecutive wins on those surfaces were active, uh-huh. and then each of those streaks were broken right by the other. So like uh, Federer had like 65 straight grass court. Um, wins and Nadal had 81 straight clay court wins and those streaks came to a close uh, at the hands of the other man and I didn't realize the the sort of head-to-head is pretty heavily in Rafa's favor Um, in a Grand Slam finals he's 6-3 in the finals over Federer and 4-1 in semis are we considering the fact that that Rafael Nadal was obviously on steroids from like 2002 Three through like 2012. You know it's possible just to lift a lot of weights, no. right? This is an option. <laughs> just, Nadal was completely on steroids. Even, Rude. That's, that, that, there's no <laughs> question about it in my mind. So the interesting one is going to be Djokovic-Federer because they have very similar records in that they, only, they both have one French Open title and then, you know, they're very they're going to be very evenly split across the other two surfaces. And Djokovic, in, with, without any question in my mind, Djokovic is going to pass both of these guys. You think so? Yeah, because these... What's his total at now? 17. Know? 17? So he needs three more. Federer's essentially done. Nadal is not going to be strong on other surfaces besides clay. So Djokovic... Djokovic probably should be at 18 right now because he probably should have won the U.S. Open other than the, other the fact that he, he rifled some ball into some poor woman's neck. Well, I mean, that's a, it's his own fault. He should have gotten the gate. I totally understand why they tossed him. Well, you know, I mean, some people hit tennis balls at referees. Other people have to fly to Colorado to get to pose for their rape trial. These, <laughs> right. are, the, these, are, the, these are the challenges of the third best player of the, the mo- <laughs> <laughs> the modern third best player in the, in the in the world, but the but so Djokovic is gonna pass them. I don't think there's any question in my mind, and I'm not going to consider Djokovic the greatest tennis player ever, not by a long shot. So even if because he, he's won, does it does it hurt him in your eyes that he's won so many hardcore titles, right? Because like so many of his majors are Australians. Again, it's fine. I mean, everybody has to play. You know, you play all four, and the fact that the fact that Australia just he just happens to be the king of Australia is fine. I mean, if he wins twelve of those, I don't have a problem with that. It's on the schedule, you know. It's it's a hard court tournament. It's it's hard to play because it's usually hot as hell, and you know whatever you earn those. And so I'm not I don't begrudge him any of his titles. I just I just I'll just never consider him. He could win twenty-two majors, and I'll not, I don't I won't consider him the best tennis player in the world. It's just a, there's there's a couple of like sniff tests that you have to sort of pass, and yeah. and the one that's always the hard one is peak. Like, would you take peak Djokovic over peak Federer? Like in your brain? No, no, you wouldn't. I mean, this is I mean, this is it's. This is why he's Kobe Bryant. Right. This is the because as great as Kobe is, you would never take him over Mike or LeBron in a vacuum. No. Like if you took peak, there's you know there's this other thing about then there's Rod Laver, right? Rod Laver actually won the Calendar Grand Slam, like the Wood Racket era. You can't really no. I mean I he was he, I mean I'm too young to like appreciate Rod Laver. My dad would tell me as I was sitting there going McEnroe is the best volleyer ever. <laughs> like this like this like eight year old nine year old me. Dad, McEnroe's the best. And my dad would be like, Psh, you never saw Laver play. Laver was the greatest. Like, Laver was unbelievable. He won, the, he, won the, he won the calendar slam twice. Like, he won all four majors in the year twice. And so you're like, okay. I mean, again, it was just the, it's the, sort of the difference in the game changes. But these three guys are always going to be on the same, basically the same era. So you can kind of like, you can at least kind of pick them apart in that way. Yeah, Rod Laver, it's like a... It's like a George Mikan situation. <laughs> he, it's like, yeah, he was the best, but I mean, who else was there? Well, there I mean, there were, there were, you know, there were, there were people. <laughs> Can you name one? Stan John Smith. Newcomb. Okay. Stan Smith. Well, I mean, Rose some Wall. good Lacoste and Adidas tennis shoes. <laughs> but yes, it was a different game. It was a different era. 
I get that. But you know, those are those are those kind of accomplishments still haven't been repeated. Like, you know, Serena won four in a row, and which was amazing. But yeah, there's something there's something magical about the calendar thing, right? That's the that's the you know even when Tiger won his won four in a row, the people get focused on the calendar. Wouldn't it be great if you just won the first one, like all the ones in that same year? There's something magical about that. And uh, yeah, yeah, there. I mean, just the champion, the undisputed champion of the entire calendar year. But I mean, the calendar itself is just a construction. I mean, just like sports are a construction, right? Sport, all <laughs> sports are just these rules that we just agree to compete on. This we we agree on rules so we can compete against each other. Agree. That brings me back to we the segment we've never done that I've wanted to do for a long time, which is that all entertainment is basically a commercial. Oh yeah. Like all of it, we'll have to come back right. at some point. But it's yeah, but that's but sports is just we we agree to the rules and the rules of tennis haven't really changed. It's just the people and the equipment have changed, and it's just a completely different game. But um, sorry, Novak, win thirty. <laughs> if he wins, if he wins thirty, okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll go on wax by saying if he wins thirty, I'll I'll I'm gonna I'll reconsider. I'll at least. I'll at least I'll at least hear I'll I'll hear the argument. <laughs> Here's even if he matches though, like his weeks at number one throughout his prime have been so like limited compared to the, the other two. Um, even right now, I think Nadal is number one. Um, and it, it, unless Nadal retires like in short order, and Novak actually has another four years where he just is the only guy that wins tournaments, then I don't think, even think you can compare him. Yeah. Well. I'm totally in the tank for Raj, so you're gonna have to win at least 23 for me to even start having this conversation. I love this about us that you're Raj, you're Federer all the way. I'm Nadal all the way. You love Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm Messi all the way. We can't like. <laughs> it's ideal for our dynamic that we both agree right up until the end, and then it's like, no, yeah, come on, now. what are you talking about? Nadal was the first guy to wear cut off sleeves and capri pants. Yeah, so we can't oh, top that. Well, I mean, Raj's just a conformist. Kid, the Kid Capri era of of Rafael Nadal is, is is tremendous. I mean, that was absolutely that was a that was a that was a wonderful time. All right, well, you, we hope you enjoyed tennis time on the Two on Three podcast. But that's it for our regular segments, and you know what that means. Now comes the part where we throw our heads back and laugh. Ready? Ready! <laughs> Dad jokes of the week. Woo! I have a listener submission today. Oh, you do? I do? Did I not check the mail, or did you? No, get I got one from that? other, from from other through other means. Okay. Yep. All right. Do you want to? Which do that is first which is by the way, I'm going to blame you for this because now I am like the lightning rod for dad jokes, right? Because we, <laughs> we did people people sure. forward me. We have a reputation people now. Forward me dad jokes like on social media on every they just come in from everywhere, like and then and then people are like hey you gotta. I heard this dad joke. You'll like it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll sure, I'll like it. <laughs> this one is, uh, this one's seasonal. Okay. You're, are we going to kick off with this yeah, one? You you no, no, no. We'll, I'll, right. just, I'll, I'll give you the early one, the, the early okay. seasonal one. So listener George gives us, how do you fix a broken pumpkin? With a pumpkin patch. Right on. That's accurate. <laughs> accurate. <laughs> All right. Bro- but if the pumpkin broken... <laughs> cut. How does how does a pumpkin stop smoking? <laughs> With the pumpkin patch. There you go. I like that. <laughs> Maybe that would be better. That's pretty good. If I tell that the next time I tell that joke, it's going to be how does a pumpkin stop smoking for sure. There you go. I've made it better. I think it's an improvement. Thank you, listener George. Thank you. All right, knock knock. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Okay. Who's there? I I led with it so we can get through who's it. Who's there? R four. R four. Who? I forgot. God. That is awful. Woo! That is awful. <laughs> awful. I need to like have an interlude where like get drunk before we do the dad jokes of the week. So I can just like drink shots yeah. before the segment. All right, here we go. Oh. Why can't the bankrupt cowboy complain? He's got no beef. He's got no, Maybe the bankrupt rancher. He's got no beef. The cowboy's just a hired hand. He's got a beef with this calendar. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Why did the Oreo go to the dentist? <laughs> Had to get its filling fixed. 
or it lost its filling. Whatever you like. <laughs> I have to get this filling fixed. Okay. My dad always said to me, don't be so quick to find faults. Good man. Terrible geologist. Terrible geologist. <laughs> I actually kind of like that one. Yeah. Like that. I think I've heard that from the paleontologist point of view. Yeah. Don't go digging up skeletons. Yeah. Great man. Terrible paleontologist. Yes. I just misspelled Armageddon on my exam, but it's not the end of the world. Doctor, help. Somebody threw a soda at my friend's head. I think she might be concussed. Don't worry. It was a soft drink. <laughs> Change that to the cops. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you hear about the accident at the army base? A tank ran over a box of popcorn and killed a bunch of colonels. <laughs> and that's it for Dad Joe Calendar this week. Ugh. Rough go. Are you excited about switching to the stupidest thing ever said? <laughs> the stupidest thing ever said calendar? Yeah. Mm. I'm looking forward to 2021 for a lot of reasons. <laughs> that Well, that might be one of them, actually, now that you mention it. I feel like I'm committed to it. I've teased it twice. We're going to have to actually buy this calendar. You have to. Oh, you have a the per- stocking stuffer. It's, stocking stuffer. It's on the, uh, hey, it's time to reorder the calendar. Stupidest <laughs> things ever imagine? said. I can imagine them being like, yeah, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being in 2021 dad joke calendar. Woo. I think we've heard them all at this point. I can't imagine. I I, I do have like, like a sort of a gross curiosity that what what would the third year of dad joke calendar be like i really do i really have a i just like in the back of my mind i'm like really what 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 are they going to come up with next year well these two calendars came from two different makers i'm surprised there hasn't been more crossover honestly yeah i know that's what i'm saying like we're i mean we've already hit the bottom i'm sure they're just digging i'm sure they they're continuing to dig most likely but i want to (laughs) know we're never going to find out I've got to move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did you have anything that you brought yourself? I think this one, I think, well, tell me if this one, tell me if you've, tell me if we've come across this one before. I went to the beekeeper to buy a dozen bees, but he gave me 13. I said, I only paid for 12. And he said, it's okay. That's a freebie. I don't think we've done that one. (laughs) I'm not sad about it. That's a freebie. (laughs) It's a freebie. I like it. Let's go to the overtime. Overtime. All right. In the overtime, um, as always, I like to bring a little existentialism to the show whenever I can. And this probably is not as much fun as the the story about me locking my keys in my own trunk (laughs) back in episode 135. That was a good one. But the story, that story was all about low stakes highs, right? Endorphin rush based on low stakes highs. And today I had an experience with what I would call low stakes stress. And the low stakes stress was brought on by the fact that our... We have this like, it's it's getting dated, but it's like this task track lighting that's like in our kitchen. It's the modern kind, so it's like that single rail. It looks nice and everything. It just mm-hmm. it's you get the, the the remodel has a feel to it that, that feels very fifteen years. Got ago. it. Anyway, the pendant lamp that is over our um, dining room table just crapped out completely. I've been sort of resuscitating it for years now, like cleaning the contacts and it's just, it's been shorting out and it does finally just crapped out altogether. So I had to replace it. I'm putting this off all summer because these lights are not easy to deal with. Um, these like the repair, you you have to like, you have to like, you have to unhitch the track and then retrack a light and then reattach the whole thing. And all of it's above your head. No, I can replace them individually. Like it's not that hard to replace a single fixture, but the pendants on like this, this long cord, I've got to get up on a ladder. It's just, it's not an ideal situation. And our kitchen ceilings are vaulted. So it's, it's, it's just a pain in the ass. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And these things are like insanely, insanely expensive. So like over our Island, there's like two pendants. And then over our dining room table, there's a single pendant. And I could not believe how expensive the individual fixtures were. Like these people who put this lighting in here must have paid thousands of dollars for what's in the kitchen because mm-hmm. these individual fixtures are hundreds of dollars. Oh God! And I was just like, oh my God! Like there's and there's no choice. I, it's either replace this pendant or replace the entire thing. And I'm not up for replacing the entire thing. So we find a pendant we like. It finally shows up. You know, it's one of the only things in the world that takes forever to show up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's one of these many things you can order online, but. It's not really what we're built for, so you'll get it when you get right, it. Right, right. Like, like you see the one of these like 
three to three to five weeks. Like, three, yes. What takes three to five weeks? Where is it? <laughs> Are you making it right now? <laughs> is it like Wendy's drive-through? Like you're not going to make the food or Jack in the Box? You don't make it till I order right. it. Anyway. I, I get this pendant lamp. It actually showed up a little earlier than I was expecting, so that's cool. And I had a little extra time uh, in the middle of the day today. Um, so I was like, I'm going to get this done while it's light out. Because now we're at the point where at dinner time it's dark outside or close to mm-hmm. it. Um, and so not having that light over the table has been less than ideal for a few days. Yeah. Um, and then early in the morning, my daughter, like that's our older daughter, older daughter that's like her, her desk for school. So I, I need some proper lighting in there for her. Anyway. Long story short, I break it open, and of course, I'm like, oh my god, this is things in like, you know, it's in six pieces, it's two different pieces of glass, this inner threaded power cord that I've got to untangle. And then I look at it, and it's like, it comes with way more cord than you need, because I don't know how high the ceiling mm-hmm. is. And I'm looking at the instructions, like, okay, so back out these tiny screws, but do not remove them, and then pull this to the desired length, pull the, the, the connector cord out, trim it to the desired length. <laughs> And I'm like, I w- I'm so stressed about cutting this damn cord. Right. Because I've already because spent hundreds of dollars on this fixture. And once I cut this, they're not, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll take it back. <laughs> yeah, there's a note like, note, cutting cable voids warranty. It's like, what the- Pretty much. <laughs> Trim to desired anyway, length, note. <laughs> By trimming to desired length, you void your warranty. Exactly. This is the instructions. But if you screw it up, that's it for you. You're going to have to buy another one. <laughs> Thankfully, I have some experience with this specific light, but I could not help but think about how stressful it was to cut this damn cord because I only get one shot at it. And so you know, I left a little bit extra, a little bit more than I thought I needed. Mm-hmm. I, I actually installed this successfully on the first try. Everything went okay. Um, and it wasn't really a problem. But, you know, I mean, I think we all feel that anytime we're doing something or presented with a challenge of, of some kind of a task where you just haven't done it before. Right. right? There's like... I can't do it. I've never done it. I can't do it. That feeling that sort of, I think most, I I know I do. I don't know if I can't speak for most people, but I think it's not a common, or rather not an uncommon feeling to feel concerned that you can't do something that you've never successfully done. To my point about being an adult, you applied your, you applied your experience and you dealt with it. Yes. And that's the challenge of dealing with, with the, the third graders, you know, anytime, I think I mentioned this before, anytime there's a question where there's no defined answer, she's yeah. just got to come up with something. Yeah. She just melts down. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's like, just, what do you mean there's no right answer? Just guess. Just well, how do you feel about it? I don't know how I feel about it. It's like, well, what, what's the answer? I'm like, they're not. They're saying, what do you think? Do something. Well, so I don't know what I think. I had, a college, I had a college professor in math always said to me, it's like, if you don't know what to do, do what you know. That's it. Sure. And that's yeah. the thing. You know more than she does. She doesn't know very much. She's just a kid. She's just young. But Right. So when I say, what do you think? She's like, well, I don't know what to think. I don't know anything. Right. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. The uh, So so now you know how Ving Rhames feels in those Mission Impossible movies where he's got to clip the thing for the nuclear bomb. Like he's, like, he's clipping wires left and right while the whole ticker's going on. He's like, turn the screw counterclockwise, lift the fuse, clip the green wire, clip the red wire. I'd argue that's actually pretty low stakes for him because if he screws up, he's probably not going to know. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of other people croak. See, I'm saying it's true. So there you go. Now you know how you know how now you know how he feels all the time. I, Every movie, he's got to clip some wire. He's like, I'm just trying to be the van guy. Like, why are you making me do this shit, Ethan? <laughs> uh, anyway, so I just I wanted to share my my internal turmoil with our listeners and then you know hopefully somebody can relate to this idea that it's this lo- super low stakes thing there's no i mean i screw it up i don't know the worst case the light's probably gonna be a little too high right you'll have to trim a little more off and then like keep dealing with Redo it, it. <laughs> next thing you know it's only like three inches from the ceiling you can't even trim it off like keep no. screwing it up and trimming it screw it up and trim it oh i have definitely done some electrical work that required like multiple strippings where it's like oh shit Cut it back again and start stripping it again. Run out. <laughs> you got to get like another, a small piece of wire to connect the two wires that you've effed up. That you've got like two twisty thingies. Yeah, I had to relearn to solder recently. Really? For this reason. How'd yes. that go? Uh, better than I would have expected. Steady hand? The hand still, the hand's still pretty steady? No, it sucks. I've made a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Your solder's like a, a size of a dime. Like hey, just, look, the shit works. That's all I know. Dripping solder everywhere. <laughs> a lot better than tape. 
All right. Well, that's our show. And our thanks to all of you for listening to Two on Three Pod, where we look outward to help you look inward. If you don't already, please subscribe and a review via your favorite podcast provider. And don't be shy about sharing your thoughts and suggestions for the show. We'll be back next week with more pop culture, life strategies, and existentialism. And until then, peace. peace.